Welcome to Waypoint. Uh, my name is Blair. Um, one of the things I've done in my role at Waypoint over the years is I've had the privilege of going and traveling to the cultures where the scripture was written. I've actually got to be on the ground and um, looked at a lot of things. And one of the things that I've seen a lot of on these trips are walls, a lot of walls. Um, some of them are really old. They're really old walls. I would say almost all of them are partial walls. Like they got beat up and maybe repurposed somewhere else. And in the first four trips that I went, I went to two to Italy and two to Israel. Um, I think we had a conversation of two conversations about walls the whole time. One was the Wailing Wall, so the, the temple wall that was there. Uh, we actually went to as a group and, and kind of participated with some stuff that was going on. We talked about the Jericho Wall. All the rest of the walls we looked at but didn't give much time to because this is the reason why. They don't work. Like, against a very determined opponent, a wall would not stop them. In fact, you cannot find an example of an ancient city that was never captured because the wall did the job. In fact, I'm, I was standing in the middle of an Israel desert on top of a plateau, sheer cliffs on all sides with a fortress on the top. The, the way to attack this thing was to form a single file line and rush up the mountain. That's pretty good defensive position, right? You're in good shape. The Romans built a ramp on the side of the mountain. It didn't used to be there. They built it so they could take this fortress, and they did. There was no place that you could go where it was safe behind a wall. In fact, the scriptures kind of even indicate this. This is Isaiah chapter 36. Listen to what it says in verse 1. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Shennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. How many cities? All. Every one of them. Not one of them was left standing, so why build a wall? You would think the wall would go away, right? In fact, they did not. The current wall that's around the ancient city of Jerusalem was built in the 1500s. Now, it's a big wall, and it, was, it, it worked for a while because there were some innovations. For this wall, there's a huge gully that goes around most of the city, very difficult to attack from a gully. A lot of places didn't have that, so they started building moats. Now, because of our, our cartoons and the, like the movies that we watch, this is what we think of when we think of a moat. Uh, no, it does not have alligators, okay? This, this is an English moat where there was lots of water, and what you would do is you would dig this thing and fill it up because a battering ram was used to knock down either the gate or a wall. And if you could keep the battering ram away or force the battering ram down into this place, you, you would be pretty good off. Now, an enemy is still going to take your fortress, but you just slowed them down because they're going to have to do a whole lot of work and you're probably going to pick off a whole lot of people from above. And once again, no, they weren't pouring oil on people. It was too valuable. They wouldn't have done that. They did pour boiling water. They threw rocks. They threw arrows. They threw 
spears and whatever they could, and people who were down there on these battering rams or these other instruments would often get picked off. So um, now imagine my surprise. Uh, I'm in Israel for the third time. This is my fifth trip overseas to see this kind of stuff. And Randy stops, has us unload off a bus, and says, I want to talk about this wall. This is the wall that he stopped at. Go ahead and bring that one up. It's got angles to it. Um, Nope, go back. That's the one. This is a moat, a dry moat. Of course, this is Israel. They do not have spare water to throw around moats. All right? But what they did was they dug down, and then you can see it's an angled wall. And the reason it's angled is the battering ram would hit that but not get a clean shot. It would bounce off of it. And so you could really frustrate somebody for a long They had to figure out, A, how to get the battering ram down there. And then when they were down there not being very successful, you could pick people off. And so Randy wants to talk to us about this wall, which, again, I'm wondering why because the people who live behind that wall are gone. It didn't work. It's like, it didn't work out for them. Why are we here? Well, it turns out, I didn't know this, Um, it turns out that Rome created a special military unit for the sole purpose of knocking down strongholds. That was their whole job. It was a high-risk High reward job. Um, if, you, if you got out of the military after serving in that unit, you ended up with land and a bunch of money. And the reason Rome could offer that is because many, if not most, of the people died doing this. But the rewards were so great, people would give it a shot. And so, so we stop at this wall, and Randy says something like this. He says, I was reading about this Roman um, military unit when I realized that Paul was using an analogy from the scriptures about this unit. So let me interpret that. Randy was saying, in my fun spare time, I read first century documents for the fun of it. I don't have that hobby. It's weird, Right? But he noticed while doing that, that there was similar language used to describe that group that's in the Greek. Here's the problem. In our own own scriptures right now, uh, the links that would have been there for us to pick this stuff up aren't there. We didn't know analogy was being made. We didn't know it was being written. In some of the older translations, you'll see some of the similar words being used. And you you can draw the lines and draw the connections. But I want you to understand that he figured out, you know what? There's this unit that was created for the tearing down of strongholds. It has something to do with your life. And as I sat there and listened to him talk, I realized that this was one of the reasons I was in Israel. Like, I I needed to hear what he was talking about. I needed to process on that. And so I want to share with you Um, my time of processing on this, I'm going to try to make the picture more complete for you. And hopefully the Holy Spirit will take and do something with it in your life as he's done in mine. That's that's what I'm hoping for. So I want to talk about strongholds. 
And um, I think where I want to start is I want to start um, by figuring out what we mean by that. Because that word stronghold has made its way into the church. People talk about it pretty consistently, like there's a stronghold in my life. What do they mean? Well, I think it can mean lots of different things. I'm going to put a bunch on the table. Let's see if you can identify with any of those, okay? So when people talk about strongholds, um, well, what is a stronghold? Uh, There's actually places in the U.S. that have the name stronghold in them. These are dominant, unmovable kind of things, great defensive positions, okay? Um, sometimes when we say, I have a stronghold in my life, or somebody has a stronghold in life, what we're talking about are certain actions or habits that somebody has. Like, they're doing something, and if you went to them and said, would you like to change this, they would immediately say, yes. In fact, I've been trying to. I have been working hard at changing this. And it feels like I'm making progress, and then it feels like I'm not. It feels like maybe I can't have enough discipline in this area of my life, or maybe I've exercised self-control so well, and I'm doing so good, and then suddenly I wake up, and one day I'm just sitting in this mess of failure, and I don't know if I'm ever going to overcome this. Like, I'm trying, I've worked hard, but this action, this habit, it seems to be unmovable. It seems to be dominant. It seems to persist no matter what I do in the face of it. It it could be that I'm talking to somebody and it's how they're using their phone or their computer. It's how they're using their free time. It could be an attitude or an action that they're choosing to do that they know is not helpful. And they do it and they regret it. But they also feel a little defeated by it. Because despite all of their effort, it still stands. For some people, it's not a habit or an action. It's some sort of emotional response. Like something happens to them, and they have this emotional response that wells up in them. Sometimes it's a voice that just screams. It's as loud as it can be in your head. Nobody else can hear it, but it wakes you up at night. And it races and races and races, and that thought races, and you know it's not a helpful thought. You don't like it being there. You'd like to see it go away. But despite all your efforts to quiet that, to calm that emotional response that you have, it's dominant. It seems unmovable. It persists in your life. Could be anxiety, it could be depression. It could be any number of kind of responses where you've looked at something and you want to exercise yourself away from that and it just keeps popping up in your life. You're tired of it. For others, maybe this is the easiest one to understand. It could be an addiction where you didn't have very good boundaries in your life and because you didn't have boundaries now, you've created some sort of physical response and so now you have your body demanding this thing and your brain is demanding this thing and the combination together cause you to go and repeat that action over and over and over again and let's not kid ourselves we're not talking just about drugs and alcohol there's all kinds of things 
in our society right now that are doing that. And social media is up there. It's triggering the same places in our brains that create a physical response and our, our bodily one. Like we, we want to do this and our will wants to do it. And so now you're fighting two things. It's really difficult. For some people, I think when they say stronghold, I think they're talking about it in the simplest terms. I think when they say stronghold, they mean, I have this truth. I know it's true. But despite the fact that I know this thing is true, I have defenses in my own life against it. Like I argue against it. I rationalize my way out of it. And I do this thing that I know, I already know it's not good, but I'm going to do it anyway. Or maybe it's in the life of somebody else that you love, where you use truth with them. You, you know what's true, and so you share that truth, but the defenses are so thick that your words don't seem to land at all. It's dominant. It, it, it remains intact. It persists despite all of your effort. And over time, you see the messes that that causes, and it's so frustrating, and you start to wonder, is there any hope that somebody can actually beat these kind of strongholds in their life? I have news. I didn't say good news. I have news. There's hope but it's not pleasant. High rewards, high risk. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Because Paul is about to go into a conversation about our lives and our ability to take down strongholds. And he's going to use a military group, an analogy of them to do it. He starts this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it's verse 3, when he says this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Like, whoa, we're in a war? Is that, is that the language that we want to use here, Paul? Is that, is that what we're up against here? He says, yeah, it's not going to be a normal, it's not the normal war, so we, we haven't these thoughts in mind of these horrible things that happen in war, and there are horrible things that are going to happen with this as well, but it's not the same. There's something different that's happening. And um, maybe, you're, maybe you'll resonate with this. I don't know. When I say life is a battle, do you feel that anywhere in your life? Life is a battle. Do you think of work? Like, it's, it's never easy. You go there and, like, it's a fight. It's a fight to do your best. It's a fight to achieve. There's competition. There's all kinds of things. It's always difficult. Do you think relationship? It's a battle. These relationships that I have, to do them well, to do them right, it's a constant, man, I'm, I'm wrestling with this. Feels like it's a battle at times. Do you think of your health? Like, I'm trying to stay healthy. But this feels like a battle. Every time I turn the corner, there's something that I face that seems to undermine my desire to do this well. Do you think of your family? 
where it's a battle, where you think, man, this should be easy, this should go well, and yet it's not. It could be that way at school. Why I think you're probably going to resonate with some area of your life where it feels like it's a battle is because here's the simple truth. We live in a world that's at war. You don't see it. You don't see it always, but you feel it. There, there is a spiritual world that's a part of this world that we live in. And God has enemies whose their primary goal is to discourage you, to mess with your soul, and to undermine your confidence. And my friends, your life is the battlefield. It always has been. It always will be. And the only question is, can you find some places where there have been strong defenses that have been built up and can you do something about that? Because there's going to be battles, and you're going to be a part of them. And the question is, is there any way to have success in these areas where there's a war going on? Paul goes on. He says this in verse 4. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So this is good news. We're not talking about guns and knives. We're talking about something else. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. There's divine power for us to face these things that feel like they're unmovable, dominant, and we can demolish them. He goes on. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, what you don't see here is that Paul in verses 4 and 5 just made references, three different references. If you were reading the Greek and you understood this military unit, you would understand that he just made three references to this military unit that was constructed for the sole purpose of tearing down strongholds. So let me tell you about the unit, and then we'll get back into the text. This unit was made up of three different groups of people. Um, one of them was called sappers, sappers, S-A-P-P-E-R-S, right? These guys' job, this is what a job, these guys' jobs were to get as close to the wall as possible, try to stay covered, dig down, find the foundation, destroy the foundation so the wall wouldn't have anything to stand on. That's a good plan, right? If the wall doesn't have a foundation, it's going to fall. But where are you working? Right where the wall's going to fall. And a lot of people lost their lives digging out the foundation as they were breaking it out underneath this thing. So sappers, they're, they're down there doing some difficult work. Casters came in next. They were part of the crew. And as the sappers did their job and they started breaking off chunks of the foundation, started disassembling the wall, you couldn't leave it there. They had to have working space. So a caster would take this thing, drag it all the way out of the area, pitch it, and go in for more. 
They didn't have to worry about stuff falling on them. They had to worry about people attacking them from above. And many of them lost their lives carrying stones out of these pits. And then the third group, the captains, they were trying to find some way to keep this whole thing organized so that everybody didn't die in the process. All three are mentioned with different words in the text, and we're going to get into it. But I, but I want to start taking um, some stuff away from this. We could get technical real fast, um, and I'm, I don't want to do that. What I want to do is I want to focus on why I think Paul made this analogy. Okay, why did Paul make this analogy? Um, so let's do some takeaways, and in the process, we'll connect the dots, and hopefully it'll all make sense. The first takeaway, I would say, is Paul suggests that you better pay attention to the foundation. Like, if you don't address the foundation of an issue, you're probably not actually solving the problem. See, these battering ramps could go in and bounce off the wall, bang, 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 and get nowhere. And that's often what happens with us when we see an outcome that we don't like, or we see some, something on the surface happening in somebody's life. And we address that, and we address that, and we address that. But we never find out what's at the bottom of that. We never get to the foundation of what was happening in that person's life that caused that outcome. And because of that, it feels like we're just not getting anywhere. We're just not getting anywhere. The goal would be to find a way to dig down, to get at the foundation, and to find out what's going on. What's at the foundation? The language that he uses is that there is divine power to demolish the strongholds. If you go and you connect the dots, he actually uses the word to destroy foundations. This is a, this is a direct reference to the sapper. Um, the foundations that we're looking for are not rock. They're beliefs. Their ideas, their values, their choices to not trust God that somebody makes somewhere along their life. And then that stuff is just kind of hidden underneath all kinds of junk. And the, that big idea, that big belief, that big thing that we don't talk about is the thing that needs disassembled. And if we're going to do the job, if we're going to find a way to tear down a stronghold, then we've got to get in there and have conversations that have meaning that actually get us to the core of that problem. We've got to be sappers. It's not just that. Second takeaway is you have to understand that a stronghold comes out in chunks. Like, you have to break stuff off. You find part of a belief. You find part of an idea. You find something that's going on. You break it off. And then you have to do the hard work of dragging it out of your life and pitching it. The language used in the text, actually in some of the older translations, is cast off certain thinking. And so he uses this destroy of this pretentious thinking, that sort of stuff. It's caster language. And he's basically saying, listen, you've got to find this thing, drag it out of your life, build up boundaries so that it can't come back, so that you keep the working space clear, and then go back again. This is so frustrating. 
Because in our culture, we want the silver bullet, man. We want, we want to strike, to knock the thing down in one shot and to be over with it. And that's not how a stronghold comes down. It comes down piece by piece. Which means you've got to be patient in the process. Which means you've got to be persistent in the process. And part of that is that you have to have enough time to remove that bad idea, that bad thought, that bad thing, and put it far enough away from you, create a better habit, and then go back and find what else is there. But we're so wanting to move quickly with this stuff that we trash the foundation, everything stays in place, and we have no more working room, and we're frustrated, surprised that things don't get better. We didn't remove what needed to be removed from our mind. And then the last one is the captain. Take every thought captive. That little idea is about organizing our minds and our thoughts to honor God. You, you want to be organized to make sure that what you're thinking, what you're doing, how you're doing it is honoring God. Now, um, understand that what Paul said was this is not a normal war. You remember him saying that? This is not a normal fight. And it's tempting to think, oh, I think what he means is guns, knives, spears, arrows. That's part of it. I would say um, part of what's happening in our culture is we are trying to demolish strongholds using the same tactics as others. I think we've become convinced that arguments and logic are really all you need. If you have the best argument, the best logic, you win. Have you seen that change anything in our culture these days? Has your mind been changed by somebody who had a winning argument? I, I haven't. In fact, you could do this. You could come up with the most brilliant logical argument for the existence of God, and it still won't be enough. Now, don't get me wrong. I, for one, am a big fan of logic. I think the arrival of the Enlightenment, where people started using reason and thought to come to conclusions instead of superstition, was one of the best things that ever happened to us. But I'll tell you right now, two things are true. I think God is knowable, and I think God is unknowable, and both of those things are happening at the same time. I can know his character. I can know his values. I can know his instruction. I cannot comprehend his power. I cannot understand why we are the object of his love. I don't understand why he made the choices that he made. He's unknowable that way. And so you can throw out the most logical thing about God, and it's not enough. It doesn't do the job. It's why I think Paul says we have different weapons. We have different weapons when it comes to us digging out a foundation, when it comes to us dragging stuff away, when it comes to us captivating our hearts and minds towards God. What are some of the different weapons that we actually have to, to use? Well, here are some. 
Not all, but some. One, I'm convinced prayer is one of those. Where you're taking something to God that's bigger than you can understand, and you're pleading for His wisdom, His help, His guidance. Because it's bigger than you, and it's been there for a long time. It's dominant. These things don't stand in the face of God's power. In ours, they do. But it requires prayer. Another weapon that I think is different for us is the more you get to know who God is, the more you follow his character, the more you follow his instructions, the more you understand his values, then you start to reflect those. And love, peace, justice, grace, all of the fruits of the Spirit start to come out of your life. And those things speak. Those things have power. Those things have the ability to say things that your words could never say. And God's waiting for us to do that. Third thing, cultivate a connection with God on a regular basis. Why is this important? Because attacking a stronghold is like you, you need a determined group of people to do that. Why would you not want to pair yourself with someone who is not intimidated by the process? That, it, that includes like putting yourself in the scriptures on a regular basis. That includes some practices and habits that you could do that would make you sensitive to the leading in the, of, of God in your life. Why? Because ultimately what has to happen is that truth is going to have to be spoken at some point. You can't you can't tackle a stronghold without saying what's true. And many times you don't even know what's true because you haven't been informed by the Holy Spirit of God what the real issue is. And so we put ourselves in a place where we're so dependent on God that when He reveals stuff, then we can act, then we know. But here's what I'm watching. Here's what I'm watching right now. Those are our weapons. Those are some of the tools that we have to go to the fight with. And I think the message of Jesus is being lost in a couple ways. One of those ways is that we don't understand like the resource of the Holy Spirit in our lives to produce these gifts, love, peace, grace, justice, all of that kind of stuff. And because we don't understand them, we mislabel them. And right now in our culture, we have, a, we have Christians, followers of Jesus, who basically say, you can't say what's right and wrong, that's not loving. You can't draw a line somewhere and say, don't cross it, that's not loving. And I'll tell you right now, when I read the scriptures, what I see is a God who's fully in love with us, who gives us boundaries because of that love who draws the lines because he cares about us. And I don't think you can go about life without having that kind of structure, without looking at somebody that you care about and saying, this is the line in the sand. But, but we're losing the ability to do that. We're losing the ability to do that. But here's the second thing that I'm watching that I think is just as harmful. 
There are some people who have learned that, you know what, I'm going to have to speak the truth, but they have stopped caring about how they speak the truth. It's like that doesn't matter. As long as I say the truth, how I'm not responsible for it anymore. They're just going to have to deal with it. And yet the words that you just used, the way that you just said that, nobody would be able to recognize or identify any part of Jesus in that. None. And so, these opportunities we actually have to step into these difficult places in people's lives, we squander when we just look at people and say, it's no big deal, it's a free-for-all. Love says do whatever you want. And just as harmful, we step into people's lives and we dump a piece of truth on them that's so unkind and mean and cruel, why would they want to follow Jesus after that. What we're called to is something that's tricky and difficult. You take a stand, but you do it in a loving way. Band, if you could come up here real quick. I've got a few more things that I want to share, and then they're going to close. If you're dealing with a stronghold in your life or the stronghold in somebody else's life and you're wrestling through that right now, I want to give you just a few things to focus your mind on. One, you can do it. I don't know if you realize this, but you were made for this kind of fight. You were made to be connected to God in a way that allows you to step into difficult situations like this and to make a difference. So don't give up. It's, it's frustrating when you feel like you've been banging your head against the wall over and over and over again. But don't give up. Second thing, I just want you to understand, this war is not normal. You want to know how not normal this war is that we're in? In every other war, the goal is to destroy the enemy. In our war, the goal is to save them. Do you understand that? We're, we're not out there to try to beat them. We're out there to try to rescue them. They, they need what we have. They need this message. They need to see something in our lives that's different. It's not the same battle. So love, grace, peace, justice, they have to be part of the way we do this. How we talk matters. Three, make sure you're addressing the foundation. So one of the things I walked away with, if you're not paying attention to the foundation, you will wail away and waste your energy on something that doesn't matter. If you don't know what the foundation is, put yourself before Almighty God and pray that He would Reveal that to you. Like, show me what's really going on here. Let me get to the heart of this. Because I want to deal with the foundation. And four, listen, friends, you're going to have to persist. These are long, drawn-out battles that you're in. They come out piece by piece. Take it out as you can. 
Here's the last thing. This is the thing that I think um, I really needed to hear from God. And so I want to share it with you. I don't know if you need this or not. The idea of being involved with God to take down strongholds is exciting to me. Like that that's possible. But you cannot forget that it's a high risk, high reward. And if you decide to partner with God to step into places where you're going to address strongholds in people's lives and even in your life, don't be surprised, don't act shocked if you get wounded in the process. Of course you will. Of course you're going to be hurt. You, you can't help it. You're going to war. And it's going to hurt. And sometimes that war, sometimes that war is with your family. And it's the last place you expect to receive wounds, but you're going to get them. Sometimes it's at work with people that you've been with for a long period of time. But if you're addressing a stronghold, just accept that it's going to happen. In fact, if, you, if anything that you do, you could see it as ministry. This is not just for people who are in full-time ministry. This is anybody who's on God's team trying to find a way to carry his values into the world. If that's you at all, you should expect to get beat up in the process. And unfortunately, what happens is we start to get wounded and we draw back. We don't, want, we don't want to take part of that anymore. We don't want to get the shots against us. And my friends, you and God together are the team that was meant for that stronghold. You cannot back down. You cannot back away. You will get a reward. It, I believe that you will get a reward in heaven someday. I believe that's true. But I believe you will get a reward on this earth right now because you will end up with a closer relationship with God than you can possibly imagine if you would just stay in the fight. You're going to take some shots. It's worth it. High risk. High reward. The reward is Jesus. The reward is his kingdom. Fully lived out in your life and heart. And there is nothing like it. The band's going to play a song that highlights this high reward that we have, this promise in God. And halfway through, they're going to ask you to stand and they're going to ask you to make that song your prayer. And I hope you'll sing it out. I hope you'll sing out this desire to make Jesus your highest goal and you'll affirm your willingness to take whatever shots you have to for his kingdom.